wonderful church family. Hey, it's really good to be with you this morning. And, and you know, you making the time to be here is, I mean, it's not only something we're meant to do, right? But <laughs> the fact that you're here tells me that you want to be here. And, and I think there is so much blessing in that. And God blesses people and um, when your heart is actually towards him and for him and, and hungry for him, he sees that and he actually comes to you and blesses you and um, that's my prayer this morning and um, I'm really excited because we are in a series, we're starting a series today called Jesus Saves and I love that we were basically singing that in Hosanna, we were talking about how Jesus, Saviour, you know, you are the one who saves God, you are the one who saves and I'm really excited because salvation is one of those doctrines that are just so core to us as Christians, right? Like without it, uh, this kind of all falls apart. Um, and so I'm, I'm really glad that we're actually taking the time to dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, and this morning, I, I um, yeah, just sort of want to get us started with, with hopefully being a bit more confident in the fact that God saves us. And so that's where I want to go today. But before I begin... Just a quick announcement, we will be doing another Q&A style word message on the 24th of this month. So <clears throat> when you have questions throughout this series, which I'm believing that most of our people will, because salvation, the doctrine of salvation is kind of a huge topic. There's so much in it, right? There's, there's so much to explore and, and we can't do it all justice over just four or five weekends, right? So we want to know what questions you have asked in the past, what questions you're asking right now in your own journey and what you can do right up until, I'm going to say April 22nd because I feel like that's the last time I could probably prep. Um, Nate could probably, you know, he's just a wealth of knowledge already. But um, I'll give you to the April 22nd to get your questions in um, and then we will chat through that on the 24th. We probably won't answer every question specifically, but we'll look for different themes of what what people are asking and we'll go from there, all right? So that's April 24th. So you've got a few weeks um, to ask your questions and text them on through. All right, so like I mentioned, I want to talk about the assurance of salvation. And, you know, I've come to realise that assurance is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Having confidence or being sure of something is a wonderful thing because I think we really feel it as human beings when we don't have assurance, right? When we don't have confidence that things are going to pan out in a certain way or, you know, we can rely on whoever or whatever happening. You know, this last week, um, Nate and I, we went to book some flights to Melbourne um, just in a few weeks' time, got a work trip going on. And so we were there looking at different flights and, and we are having this conversation about how it's, it's really difficult to put, especially your money, like that much money on the line when you don't really know what's going to happen at the end of the day, right? And, and you know, like I, I honour our leadership and, and that's all well and good. But just the fact of the matter is, is that we booked tickets, but we don't know whether something's going to change. And so we might not be allowed back in the state without having to quarantine a bunch. Don't know could happen. Don't know whether we will even end up getting on the plane simply because something could change and we're just not allowed to fly um, outside of WA. And you know, if that were to happen, we don't even know whether we would get that money back. 
There is so much that we are unsure of. And, you know, in the last few years, each and every one of us have been impacted by that lack of assurance, right? You could probably think of a billion different scenarios going on in your own life, let alone in the life of our church and in the life of your workplace that have sort of been tossed up into the air in the last few years and who knows where those situations were going to land, right? But what I realised is that this isn't a COVID issue, this lack of assurance. It's not, let's be honest. COVID may have highlighted it to us, put a bit of a magnifying glass on lack of assurance and saying, hey, anything could happen at any time, woohoo! But if we're honest, before COVID hit, before we had any lockdown, before we had any new regulations put in place, uncertainty, lack of assurance, that has been a part of our lives. That's something that we've always had to factor in to our life. And so it's not actually something new. But what I've found myself doing over the last couple of years, and, and I'm sure you have too, but I've been just reflecting on the character of our God and how even though there might be so much lack of assurance, lack of certainty around me and even with me as a person, I know that God is our one true God and He, there's something so unchanging and unshakable about Him. And I love that. You know, Psalm 18 describes God as our rock. He is that firm foundation that we can stake our life on. God talks about building your life on the rock because He's our one sure thing, right? In Hebrews 13, it says He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So no matter what's happened in our past, no matter what happens today, no matter what happens in a few days' time or years down the track, we know that still God is our rock and He's the one that we can trust and we can build our life on. I love this assurance. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a human being that he should lie. Come on, we all lie. We all (laughs) change our minds. Or a mortal that he should change his mind. Has he promised and will he not do it? I love it. Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You know, this passage talks about people and how, you know, I think often for us, people are our most precious, you know, I can't say things or commodities, but our relationships, they're our most precious things in life, right? But even with people, people change. You and I change. We're changing beings. It's just the way that we are. And, and praise God that we do change, that we have the capacity to. Am I right? Like that's a beautiful gift even in and of itself. But that's why we can't put our security in other human beings. And we can't put our security in our careers, in our jobs, in our possessions. But we have a place to root our lives on, to build our lives on, and to be 100% sure of. And that is in our God. It's in His Word who talks about who He is. And I'm so thankful. Aren't you thankful that over the last few years, come on, we can be here today and we can say our God is faithful and our God is dependable. He is unshakable. I love it. And you know, what I found is that this hope that we have as Christians, it's actually so attractive to our lost and broken world. I think in the last few years, as we've held on to God being our rock, people have seen that and they've asked, how can you be like that? And that's where we can give, you know, we can actually give the answer for the hope that we have. But you know, I'm going down a different track. I want to come back to assurance of salvation. You know, one of the most beautiful gifts that God has given us is this gift of salvation. It's so precious. The fact that God would intervene on our behalf 
Because you see, you and I, we were destined for the consequences of our sin, right? That, that's what we deserve, the consequences and death for all eternity, separation from God. That's where we were, we were headed. But God came to us. He came. He humbled himself. Jesus came and he stood in our place and he took on the wrath of sin that we wouldn't have to pay all the consequences of our sin, that we wouldn't be separated from God for all eternity. Jesus gave his life so that we could have that. But you know, often we can think about the life for eternity and we don't think about the here and now. But Jesus has actually come so that as we walk out this beautiful gift of salvation that we may actually participate in and receive his life. This is, this is the process of salvation. You know, more and more, um, Nate and I have been doing um, the shred during our Lent fast, Bible shred. And you see these different themes come through in the Word of God. And, and when I first became a Christian, I grew up thinking that salvation was the once-off event of when you've cried out to God and you've received that gift into your heart and Jesus has become your Saviour. But more and more, as I look over the Word of God, that I, we are actually seeing this as more of a process. This is a, we are saved and we are being saved. And so I wanna talk a bit about this journey of being saved and how we can be confident right throughout and what sort of pit stops we need to make along the way so that we can continue in this confidence. Coming back to this gift of salvation, it's so precious. Jesus paid with his life, Right? We can, I feel like if, even if we spend our whole lives coming back to that truth, that's a life well lived. That is such a beautiful thing that God has done for us. But you know, sometimes because of the preciousness of this gift, we can actually feel unworthy of it. You know, sometimes whether it's in a low point of our life or whether we're just processing events of our past where shame and condemnation kind of rear their ugly heads again, we can start to feel this lack of worthiness of, of God, how could you save a sinner like me? And you know, sometimes if we entertain that thought a little bit more, we can come and to the point of asking these questions of God, am I really saved? Or, or can I ever even lose my salvation? You know, these are some questions that we can stumble across as, as Christians who may have journeyed with God for so long. It's actually a really normal thing. I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, it was with N.T. Wright and he is a scholar and basically he has people writing into him all the time asking this question, how can I be sure that I'm saved or, or can I lose my salvation? How, how do I actually become saved? Because is it about saying the prayer and then that's kind of it? Have I checked all the right boxes? And so this is actually a question that comes up and you know, it's actually something that's worth wrestling with because number one, we want to be sure. We don't wanna be fooled into thinking that we are saved in God's family when perhaps we're not. Perhaps we've kind of tried coming into salvation, into God through other ways than what I'm gonna outline shortly. You know, we wanna be sure of that. We don't wanna be fooled into thinking that we are saved when we're not, right? That's, that's a big deal. And at the same time, we don't want to be fooled into thinking that we're not saved when we actually are. Because then we end up living a life groveling or trying to please God in ways that he's like, yuck, no, no, that's not how you come to me. You know what I mean? So it's actually really important that we have this assurance that we're not fooled about it. And the second thing is that if we start living according to that lie of whether we are saved but we're not, 
or the other way around, is that we end up living in greater bondage. We actually don't enter into the freedom that God, that Jesus paid with his life to give us. You know, God wants us free. It says that Jesus came to set us free. And so that's what he wants for us. And so it's really important that we wrestle with these questions and know what do we actually bank our salvation on? This is so, so important. And what I sense God wanting to do this morning is to actually give us this confidence and assurance, not in the gift necessarily of salvation, but in Him, rooted in Him, in His character, in His love for us. And so if we want to be confident about our eternity being sealed with God, then we need to understand what to base this assurance on. Do we base salvation on the good deeds or our upstanding character, if that's something that you know you take pride in, is that something that we base it in? Do we base it in our heart motives? You know, we all know people who are like, oh, they've got such a good heart. You know, that's sort of the family that I came from, my extended family. Like, they have a good heart, and so they're going to be okay. God loves them, and so salvation and all of that—that's for sure. But. There's a little bit more to it, and I want to outline that as well. But do we base it on that, the fact that we think we have a good heart? Do we base it on the idea that there are just some good people and some bad people in the world? You know, there's just some bad eggs out there. But the good eggs are the ones that are worthy to receive salvation. Do we base it on that? Do we base it on ourselves, our performance at all? Is that even a factor for us? So what is our salvation dependent on? There are two aspects of this. The first is the righteousness of Christ and the second is our faith in Jesus. Those are our two aspects that salvation is dependent upon. Now, I want to go through a bit of a survey of Scripture and why I've chosen to do it this way so that you can see that throughout Scripture, these two uh, aspects of salvation, these two things that we depend, salvation is dependent upon, has always been there. It's not a new thing, New Testament thing. It's been there all along. And so I just want to show you this by going through a few Scriptures. I think we have the list of Scriptures um, that'll come up. And what I want to encourage you to do is actually, uh, you know, if you're studying this or wanting to look deeper into this right now, take a photo of that list of scriptures and then go and study in greater detail for yourself. Because really this morning, I just want to run through and give you a, a bit of a surface level idea. But come on, we want to go deep with this, this doctrine of salvation. So do that in your spare time. But I'll get us started. So Romans 3 verse 21 to 26 says this, But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the the playing field has been levelled, people. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the, the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. There's our word again, faith. He did this to show His righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that He Himself is righteous and that He justifies the one who is faith in Jesus. Now, I know there's a lot in that in Romans 
passages of scriptures, there's always a lot in there. But all of that is to say that Christ is righteous. God sent him and his righteousness was proved by his death on the cross and his resurrection. So Jesus' righteousness, done. It's a proven thing. It stays that way for all of eternity, right? He can never become unrighteous. So Jesus is righteous and it's through faith that we can actually come and become righteous, that we can actually be saved. John 5.24 says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him or has faith in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. There again we see this link between faith and salvation. It's through faith that we are saved. Jeremiah 23 verse 6, and this is prophetic scripture about Christ. So this is the Old Testament part where I was mentioning, you know, it's always been there, this righteousness of Christ. So Jeremiah 23 6 says, In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So again, it's linking the righteousness of our Lord, of Jesus, with the salvation of Judah and Israel. Isaiah 53, 11 says, The righteous one, speaking again of Jesus, my servant, shall make many righteous. That many that they're talking about is us. That's Jesus making us righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. We're the ones with sin. We're the ones with iniquity. But it's Jesus and his righteousness that makes us righteous. Romans 1.17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. So now this talks about a living by faith. So this isn't just a we come into Christ through faith and receive His righteousness, receive salvation, but we continue to live by faith, walking out this gift of salvation. This one talks about our role model, Abraham. Galatians 3.6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Again, it's linking faith with us becoming righteous when we put our faith in God, in Jesus Christ. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us. Oh, I love this one. I love this one. Psalm 103 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. This is that beautiful truth that God doesn't see us with our sin, but He sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ, through Jesus' righteousness, not our own, not our trying to be righteous, because apart from Jesus, we cannot be. But God doesn't look at, look at us and He doesn't deal with us. I love that. You know, I love those moments where I don't deal with Sam as, you know, kiddies just misbehave, but I deal with Sam as my son and as, as this kid that I love. You know, it makes such a difference. And so I'm glad that our God, our Heavenly Father, doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And lastly, Luke 15, uh, 20 to 24. This is that beautiful passage of Scripture about the prodigal son, his brother and his father. It's kind of the three characters in one. But we love this passage of Scripture, right, as Christians, because in it is us. And it's so obvious. I love it. You don't have to do much digging with this one, <laughs> just to see us in this story. 
But verse 20 to 24 says, But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hey, if you're in that place or you've been in that place this last week where you've come to God and you're like, God, I am not worthy to be your son or your daughter, the story doesn't end there. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know, this is one of those stories, one of these accounts in the Word that just tell us the crux of the salvation story, that it's not according to our deeds, but it's according to God's compassion. He doesn't see us, you know, He doesn't, well, He does see the things that, that we do. He actually does. But because of Jesus' righteousness, he can actually see past that and he can see us as children worthy to be loved, worthy to be accepted because of Christ's righteousness. Come on. Are you so thankful? Are you so thankful for Jesus? Come on. So what we can see from just a few passages, like I said, there is more. Do your own study. Is that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, our righteousness. He is righteous and when we believe in Him, we are saved. Salvation is not dependent on our sinlessness, but purely, squarely on Christ's righteousness. See, this is encouraging and I hope this encourages you this morning because it's God's actions that grant us salvation. It's not how good or how bad we are. It seems straightforward, but at times we can struggle. You know, we can be walking with God for so long, but we still struggle. And the truth is this, we have an enemy that is out there to get us, to actually ruin our faith. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We have this enemy. His assignment is to take us down. And so if ever you've been convinced that your righteousness or your salvation comes through your actions, through your behaviours, through somehow making amends of the sins or the mistakes of the past, that can't happen outside of God. That can't happen outside of Jesus. And there's no point in trying or entertaining that. But you know, the enemy will come and he will discourage us. He will sow lies that actually it's all on us, that actually it's all dependent on how good we are. And so we run ourselves ragged, trying to attain this level of holiness or perfection. But then there's, you know, other times where we sort of just lay down and think, oh, it's all hopeless anyway, so let's not even try. And you know, the enemy's lies, it can, it can steer us in that kind of direction. But Jesus has come to give us life and Jesus was successful in his, righteous, in his assignment because of his righteousness. And so if you've been entertaining that life, that's something you've been discouraged with, then you can talk back to yourself. I love how in the Psalms, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes we've got to do that for ourselves. Sometimes we've got to tell ourselves, no, I belong here. I can stand here. The playing field is level. I have just as right, as much right to be here as Pastor Nate does. I have just as much right to be in this place, in the house of God, in the family of God, because it's not through my righteousness that I've come 
here. It's through Jesus and His blood that is perfect and righteous and it never, ever fails. And so when you find yourself asking, am I saved? Can I lose my salvation? Check what you're focusing on. Are you focusing on your sinful behaviour and mistakes? Are you focusing on whether you have checked the right boxes? If that's where your questions are coming from, come back to the truth of how you are saved first and foremost. Salvation depends on Jesus' righteousness alone, never on yours. Another important aspect of this that we can see in those passages of Scripture is that salvation, the salvation Jesus offers us is complete. Now, we might not think that that's a big deal, but when the authors of the Bible were writing, and in that sort of context of the day, having a complete salvation brought so much hope to people, so much joy, so much courage, because the other gods of the day, of that uh, context, was that you had to grovel and appease, and you never knew if you were actually saved. You never knew if you had the favour of the gods on your side. And so when we know that Jesus' salvation is complete, that's such a huge encouragement for us. And I love how John 5, it says, we have passed from death to life. That's a pretty, you know, that's a, a big change right there. That's a solid change. You know, you're dead. You're alive. Like, that's huge, right? That can't be undone. Uh, so, you know, we have that assurance that we have passed from death to life. This is a permanent change that takes place. So once saved, we're always saved. And, you know, this is such an encouragement if we're walking and living life with Christ. You know, we're on that road. We continue to persevere and we live by faith. But what about for our family, friends, loved ones, even ourselves who go astray? You know, that's a real question, isn't it? I think most of us have loved ones that have gone astray and maybe are currently still far from God, not walking with Jesus, not walking by faith. What happens then? Is there any comfort during these seasons where we're watching this take place and our hearts are crying for comfort? Is there any comfort in this? You know, what happens? Is salvation then lost because they no longer believe? Were they saved in the first place? That's a question we can ask. How can we know that we won't stray as well? You know, there are things that happen, different church leaders fall from grace, as they say. You know, that's been a real fear at times for me, where I'm like, God, am I just destined to do a bit of life with you and then fall and discourage and, you know, bring down people around me? Is that, is that what happens? Thanks be to God, it's not. <laughs> it's not. This is where the promise of God preserving us for salvation comes in. I don't know whether you've kind of journeyed through this much at all, but, you know, when I discovered this promise of God's preservation of our salvation, I was so encouraged and so I want to share that with you. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So part of this wonderful gift of salvation is the promise that God protects us in His power. He puts a shield around us to guard our faith that, you know, if we're going through difficult times, if we're on a bit of a shaky ground, we actually can cry out to God. We can have faith and believe that His power will protect us, that He will have a shield around us. And, you know, we're not left alone to battle the struggles that attack our faith. And if we just look at that for a minute, our world was, or has been Christianized, right? But we're seeing this slow turn away from the things of God, where we're having different policies, um, you know, introduced into our schools, our children, Lord help us, out there, you know, in our workplaces, saying that Sunday's no longer holy, Christian, you have to work now being unfair in that kind of a way. You know, we have so many things going on in the world that are there, I think, to attack our faith, to actually slowly weaken us, slowly water down our conviction about Christ and the kingdom. I believe it's there because the enemy's put it there. He's influenced people to make these decisions that for us as Christians, if we're not careful, we can be discouraged in our faith. We can be, you know whether it's circumstances personally or just being influenced by the world there, whether it's heavy uh, seasons of temptation where we are tempted to sin, or maybe it is the loved ones growing cold around us. There are so many things around us that want to attack our faith. But thanks be to God that we can call out to Him. We can have our faith in Him that He would come and protect us and give us a shield for our faith. You know, what's more is that for our loved ones who've gone astray, this promise also assures us that if, we are, if they are truly saved, they will come back. Christian, if they are saved, they will come back. We can be confident of that. It doesn't mean that we don't stop praying for them because, you know, the truth is the Bible talks about reward for our faithfulness, right? There's actually eternal rewards and I believe that there's a life that we get to live here and now that is blessed by God when we walk faithfully with Him. And so when we go astray, there are consequences to that and we don't want those consequences for our loved ones, right? We want them to come back. We want them to live their best life and live out the design that God has placed on them, the purposes, the plans that He has for them. We want that for them and so we continue to pray for them. But we pray trusting that God guards his sons and daughters for salvation. We're not left alone. We have God, our guardian. Our We watched a movie last night and these kids were like, um, not soldiers, knights. That's the word. They were knights and they were kitted up with, with you know, a shield and a sword and all of this armour. And so that's sort of the picture that I have. We have this God who is, he's got the armour and he's protecting us. He's fighting for us. I love that. So, you know, when we face challenges of faith in our journey, again, let's check where our focus is. Are we looking at the impossible situations around us? Are we leaning into the things of the world that want to try, bring our faith down, water us down so that, you know, living the Christian life actually doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, we don't look any different. You know, if, if you're challenged with that, 
Know that you can call out to God and through faith you can receive His protection. You can receive His shield to surround you, to help you in those times where you are battling hard, to hold on to your faith and to live it out. He is there as our protector. He is there as our shield. You know, lastly, there's one last thing I want to show you that brings assurance of salvation. And that is that God initiates our perseverance of salvation. If we understand that salvation, receiving it, isn't just a one-time thing where we've cried out to God in the privacy of our room or whatever it is, that it doesn't end there, but it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. No matter how old you are when you make that decision, there's some perseverance that needs to happen on our part. And even in this, God doesn't leave us alone, but He helps us. And this is one of the ways that He helps us. Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. That means walk in God's ways. Keep on that track. Keep aligned with Him. Give me an undivided heart to revere or to fear your name. You know, often fear gets a bad rap in Christian circles. We're like, no, you know, we, we can't fear. Fear is of the enemy. It's of the devil. But actually, there's a fear and a reverence that God desires us to have. And this is in order to help us to persevere in our faith, to actually get to the finish line at the end of our life so He can say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us, that when we cross that line, we will get that beautiful a declaration from our Father, good and faithful. And so we actually need a healthy level of fear and reverence in our hearts. Because, you know, without it, and let me backtrack, fear or having a reverent heart towards God, God is basically understanding that God is God and we keep Him in that position, in that, if you want to look at a hierarchy, He's on top. We keep it in that order and we keep the fact that we are His creation, that we are His created beings. God does not exist to serve our will and our purpose. We exist to serve His plans and purposes. That's the correct order. And I think, again, the culture of our world would say that, no, you are a slave to no one. You are a servant of no one. You can do whatever you like and it doesn't matter how it affects anyone. But we know that the kingdom of God is different, right? That almost everything we do, how we love one another, that matters. That matters hugely to our God. I completely lost my train of thought. Anyway, um, so it's good to have a good level of fear of God because it keeps, it keeps us on that path. It keeps that order in place. And you know, um, when we start treating God as common, that's when we begin to be on shaky ground. And we don't have to travel far through the Old Testament to see that um, in Israel's story, right? Really, really sad. But time and time again, they just see God as this common person. And, you know, sometimes the fear that they had of Him drove them too far away. But we want a healthy fear that God puts in our hearts. And I love that this psalm says that when we ask God, He will put it there. He will put it in our heart to help us keep on the path that we can persevere in our faith. And so God gives us these three, there's so many more things. I couldn't fit any more in today. Um, But there's these three aspects of this gift of salvation that God 
brings assurance to us with. It's the fact that he saves us, that that is done because of Jesus' righteousness and we accept that through faith. We can be assured because God preserves us. He will keep us going. He protects us from the weapons and the plans of the enemy and, and every other thing that wants to attack our faith. If we ask him, if we trust him, he preserves us. And lastly, he initiates our perseverance by helping us with our heart. Out of the abundance of our heart, you know, the, the mouth speaks and the issues of life flow. If we can keep our heart pure before God and ask for his help to keep us on the track, he helps us even with that. And I'm so thankful for that. We're not here to fight this battle alone. We're not here to endure a faith life, but we can actually live it out we can be successful, if I can use that word. We can prosper. We can have joy in it because God helps us all the way through. I love our God. I love our Saviour. He's incredible. If I can invite the band up this morning um, as a bit of a response, what I thought um, or what I saw, let me tell you what I saw. I saw us standing in God's presence and I saw us just being quiet before Him. Because what I sense is that the Holy Spirit wanted to connect the truth from today's word into where you are at personally, specifically. And so we're going to make space for that. And so this morning, what I want to ask you to do is stand to your feet. And we're going to do this spiritual practice called breath prayer. There's nothing weird about it, so relax, don't worry. It'll be fine. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. That's beautiful. And so breath prayer is all about quieting ourselves so that we can connect with the presence of Jesus because he's here right now. He is. You know, sometimes we just get distracted and we're thinking about other things. We're thinking about what has just been spoken about. We're thinking about whatever. And so this is just to help us become aware again of the presence of Christ. And what I felt God wanting us to just meditate on and marinate, if I can use that word, in a little bit this morning is the fact that Jesus is our righteousness. Sense that God wants to strip away the thoughts and the attitudes and the habits we have that cause us to take up this task of being righteous in our own self, in our own ability and trying to be perfect, trying to get everything right before him, but he's just saying, hey, I just want you to take some time, lay that at my feet and step in again to Christ being your righteousness. The Bible talks about how we are given a robe of righteousness and I just see Christ coming and enrobing us in this moment as we Meditate as we pray. And with breath prayer, we'll do it about nine or ten times. It's just deep breaths in, deep breaths out. And on the inhale, we pray in our mind, in our heart, Jesus Christ. And then on the exhale, we pray our righteousness. It's a meditative practice in that, you know, around seven, eight, nine times you start to really enter into that truth of Jesus, you are my righteousness. 
And we're going to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak into every heart as we do this, as we quiet ourselves, that you would speak, that you would highlight the truth of Jesus' righteousness, of God's protection, of the fear of God in our hearts, that you would just apply that to every heart that needs that this morning. And so we're going to take some deep breaths in, deep breaths out. We're going to pray Jesus Christ, our righteousness. We'll do it about 10 times. And then the band is going to lead us into this song and we're going to declare that God, you are the God who saves. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.